Hey everybody, I'm James Phelps and welcome to the Double Trouble with James and Oliver Phelps. This week, uh, as we record this, it is the 5th of May, Cinco de Mayo, and today our guest is a very good friend of ours. Some would say a family member, our little sister, Bonnie Wright, has joined us this week. Si, hola mi amigos, mi alamo Oliver Phelps. James? Como es tu español? No. <laughs> so, as we see, so we've got a running thing going really now to see how James's Spanish lessons have been coming along. Um, so it turns out they're still going much of a muchness, but that's, that's by the by. I'm really, really excited today to have our little sis, Bonnie Wright, joining us on the Double Trouble podcast because I think we're going to have a lot, a lot of fun and some very fun stories to talk about. Very much so. So Bon currently lives in California and we are all the way over in England right now. So it's getting a bit late here so we could catch her on a reasonable good time. But I know that we're going to have such a great laugh. Um, we plan to ask her all about her environmental stuff, which she's really passionate on. And that actually has got me changing my ways in how I go about my daily life. Also, obviously, we're going to talk quite a bit of Potter. When we first met through the filming, what different scenes and films in general were fun to do, right all the way up to modern day life, what she's up to now in her current career of directing and all that kind of fun stuff and everything else in between. Yes, so as, as James said, it's going to have an absolutely very enjoyable listen for you guys this week. But anyway, James, what have you been getting up to this week? Uh... What have I been getting up to? It's quite so. I've actually uh, up my fitness. It sounds game. really action packed. It's very action packed. Uh, I've up, I've up my fitness game, so okay. I've been running more. Uh, and then today I actually did a online PT with Steve Common, who's a very good friend of mine, who's actually an amazing PT as well, and he absolutely kicked my rear end with this uh, thirty minutes with seven k dumbbells not that heavy but they were by the end of it so i've really enjoyed doing that so oliver okay. what about you it seems like from what i can see in your background have you have you done squares in your carpet yes i have done so um i have been i'm actually in my uh, my golf slash cinema room in my house i thought i'd change the uh, the background now so what looks like a, a bit of a cinema screen is a, an impact screen for golf balls anyway uh, yes and as you can see down here i got a bit creative with the carpet trying to make a nice Normally I line them like fairways, but that's how productive my day or my evening has been. Uh, but also as well, I have been doing some more gardening, ripped out a few more shrubs and stuff. And then, yeah, just cracking on with that really. And then what else have we been doing? I suppose just chasing up different stuff. There's a few few business things that are still kicking on, which is nice. Um, and very, very excited about that side of things, which gives me a bit of an interest away from, I suppose, this type of stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's just stuff like that's been really exciting to do and very, very much enjoying the questions and the just a response really from last week's uh, podcast with Haley. Uh, big shout out to Haley as well for that one. That was absolutely fantastic. His input was really, really fun. Yeah, very much so. I think what's also been great to see is that people have generally been excited and enjoying what we've been coming up with so far. So what we've been coming up with, we've had some really great guests already with Joe and Haley. And I know Bonnie today will be great as well. Um, actually, one thing that I need to address, if I may. Ooh, ooh. So I keep getting certain people saying, you should cut your beard, you should cut your hair. Just so you're aware, 
more people say that, the more I'm going to grow it. And both, I, I'm eventually going to be like, yeah, I, I want to look like Jasper from um, The Simpsons by the end of this curve, from the end of this lockdown, I think. Who, the old guy? Yeah, you know, the one with the beard right the way down there. You couldn't think of a more younger person who has a beard. No, like, because Jasper's like, awesome, because, you know, he sings the lollipop song. He's like, lollipop, like, That would be, uh, <laughs> that's, that's going to be me by the end of this lockdown. Is that going to be the intro then to the next one? Is you singing lollipop, lollipop? <laughs> we'll see. Who knows? Also, uh, as well, so I, I just put a quick thing up on my Twitter page, James. Now, I know we're limited for time because obviously we want to get to talking to Bond before, uh, before it gets too late. But uh, a couple of questions I just put down doing a podcast. Anyone got any questions? And literally, we have had in the last 16 seconds. Um, right, we've had someone say, How have you been during quarantine? What do you do to kill your time? That's from a uh, uni crew, and I think we've kind of just answered that one, haven't we? Yeah, um, well, I say f fitness, uh, reading quite a bit, I'm actually doing that at the moment as well, um, and also making sure I'm spending time with my family in the house. So, my wife and my dog, we're having a lot of good, good little laughs going on, and annoyingly, now it's turned out to be, um, I've <laughs> So we've had these pigeons keep coming into our garden. And at first, we keep thinking, out, well, at first we kept thinking, oh, they're nice. They keep like they, the one would fly down and you'd hear like this. And then this other no, pigeon would fly down. Bad. Well, then they'd start kissing and then other things would start happening. And now it's, I don't know whether our, <laughs> our garden's got the word around. It's a bit of a pad. So I'm, I'm now having to shoo the pigeons away. <laughs> All these pigeons chucking the keys in the middle. Exactly. Well, I don't know if it's that. It's just one couple comes down and it's like, no, 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 no. Go next door. Go somewhere else. So that's, <laughs> that's keeping um, me in at the moment. And why is it? Now I'm on a little rant. So I spent about literally 10 hours last week painting the, the new, like, paint, new fence, painting it and all that kind of stuff. Ah, ah, ah. Within, I'm doing that. I'm doing within, that this week and I've bought one of those sprayers. Yeah, well, that's great. But let me tell you what will happen within hours of you finishing some seagull or pigeon or eagle, whatever it will be, will decide, oh, that's nice. Let me change that for you. So you've got all that to look forward to as well. Maybe, maybe what you need to do then is do like they did in Trafalgar Square and introduce hawks. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to get a hawk and sit on my... That'd be quite well, no, I'm sure if anyone is listening here and knows a hawk, they could lend James for maybe, I think just two or three weeks would be okay. Yes, please. Um, you could do that, couldn't you? Well, I don't, I don't want to kill the birds. I just want them to... Well, no, I'm out. pretty sure that, you know, it'd be like a... Uh, one would get maybe a, a roughing up and the others, the other pigeons would look or birds would go and go... Ooh. I may just... And, and do one. Um, okay, so going back to one or two more questions. Uh, this one comes from a, oh, that's a very, very long name. That Thomas Brody Sangstefan girl, 1990. Hello. Um, what's the weirdest late night thoughts you've had? James, <laughs> give an answer to save this one. Because I don't really, when I've been going to bed, I've been literally flat out and, and gone. I've, I've got a very comfortable bed. So we have a, we have a rule where it's just straight to sleep. Right, okay. Well, I've actually started getting really back into my astronomy during this lockdown as well. So I've got a, a little old telescope, which I dug out, and I started looking at the moon, which was rather fun. 
so I've got so into it actually that I've actually gone and treated myself to a new telescope, which should be arriving soon. Sorry, before I go completely space nerd again. Um, okay. But one thing I want to look at is Saturn when eventually the Earth comes around and I can see Saturn. So I started thinking, people have seen Saturn for years, but obviously it was Galileo with his telescope who could actually see it for the first time with the rings and all that stuff. And did you know, he originally thought that those rings were actually a handle. A handle? So it looked like a handle instead of as we know it to look now. Right. Well, I suppose you're seeing something for the first time, you can think whatever it is, isn't it? Really? Exactly. So let me give you a little fact of Saturn. Okay. The day. All right. So a day on Saturn is mm. around 10 and a half hours long. That's one wow. day. But That's one, one day. year on Saturn is 29 Earth years. Really? So there you go. Gosh. Don't go to Saturn for a holiday then because you'll be in trouble with your boss when you get home. Uh, okay. So Christy De Silva has asked, do you prefer nights in or nights out? I assume she means before you could only have nights in uh, i would say nights out i suppose i love the interaction i love the checking out things but it depends where you're going on a night out um obviously if it's a, a night out 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 uh, as we say um i haven't been out out in a long time james have you well, out 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 so for people who are wondering um because a lot of people listening in america may not understand what we're on about out 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 is um a term what we use over here is when you go out but then you end up having a big night, uh, be it you end up in a nightclub or you go to a couple of bars or you just keep going out really late. So that's going out, out. Um, but it's always quite funny because normally if you go out, out, you don't plan to go out, out. Um, I like, I, I would rather be out, to be honest with you, especially where, where I live. There's a lot of the pubs are dog friendly, so I can take my dog with me as well. Mm -hmm. So there's the mm -hmm. perfect night for me. Very good, very good. Right, okay, so there is... Oh, they're all coming in here. Oh, I've got okay, one. Should we do? Lind okay. Lindsay asks, Oliver, what's your favourite book? My favourite book is... Um, do you know, this whole call, I thought that you've had really bad sideburns, but it's your earphones you're wearing. It's my earphones, yeah. I know, they're actually growing. <laughs> yeah, really well. yes, so, yes, so it's called A Utterly Impartial History of Britain, or 2,000 Years of Upper Class Idiots in Charge. And that's by John O'Farrell. So if you're looking for a very light-hearted way to learn and understand basically Britain up until um, the end of 1945, Second World War. Um, that is an absolutely brilliant read and it really breaks it down. I always thought that if history teachers taught it to me like that at school, it would have retained it so much more growing up because you do actually see also the good and unfortunately with our culture or our country's history, there's quite a bit of baddies in there as well. So it's quite nice to, uh, to learn uh, that type of stuff. So that would be my answer to that one. James, do you have one at all? I do, actually, and it's right here. Let me just uh, get it down. So this is my favourite book of all time, called The Unknown Soldiers. It's considered F Finland's greatest uh, literal, literal, uh, literacy. Li thank you. Literacy book. Um, cannot recommend it enough. So it's on... Um, hardback as you can see but it's also on kindle and all that other stuff but i cannot recommend it enough it's absolutely fantastic very good okay and there's okay last one last one that wasn't even uh, either, no very good you must be enjoying it if you're reading it okay so the last one because unfortunately thanks to everyone who's replied so so quickly um but um nikki Fazikas 
says, what's your quarantine playlist? What music do you listen to in these times? So I was thinking of one the other day and I was trying to think of what is a very, very good song, which I haven't heard for a long time yet. You could just listen to and almost just enjoy it the whole time. And it was okay. It was Slide Away by Oasis. <laughs> Bloody hell, I thought you were going to come out with some. <laughs> That's tuned. It is an well, absolute it, it, amazing it, tune. And it is also, a tune, and but also, I thought that build up was going to be some kind of operatic masterpiece from the 1800s. No, no, I mean, you can, you can listen to stuff like that as well. You know, I'm quite partial to a bit of Elgar every now and then. Um, Right, yeah, I've had so on my my running playlist, I made quite a, a big mix of things and just put the shuffle on. So I've been listening to such hits as "Get Your Shine On" by Florida Georgia Line, "Three uh, 0 by Slipknot, "Waste a Moment" by Kings of Leon, and "Breakaway" by Kelly Clarkson. So that's on my random playlist at the moment. That's quite a random mix. A bit of a, a diverse one, but it's ever so good for running. If you you don't want too much up tempo straight away because then you just go too hard and you you can blow out. You don't want too soft and you go a bit too slow. So just have a bit of a bit of a flow. Yes, yes. I was actually I did a uh, I did a run the other the other morning, nice and nice and early, literally a sunrise. So at about five thirty ish, um, actually ran my golf course. So I started at the first and finished at eighteen. Like normal, good fun. How, anyway, um, how far was that? Um, well, including from my front door and i made like a nice loop of it type thing yeah it was around around 8k something like that so, in what time but the time is irrelevant these days yeah. james it's just about having fun but anyway while i was on my stroll uh, in the early hours so luckily this there's an owl down the road from where i live as well and he's doing my head in you're talking about your pigeons there's, do you know how loud owls are and they're not even that big as well. Anyway, that's by the by. Um, so when I was out for a run, I was actually listening to the audio book of Mike Tyson's autobiography, which is a very, very interesting listen. And uh, yeah, I'd recommend it actually. Obviously, as you'd expect with something like that, the language is a bit choice. But uh, no, very honest and open. And I've got to be honest, I remember when we met him in, uh, I think it was Salt Lake City. And yeah, he definitely comes across as... As I remember when we when we met him, granted we only met him for a couple of uh, minutes or so, but just a humble, honest chap. So he's quite. And this this book reflects that. Like he he obviously talks about how he's um, basically what his ego was like at the time, how he was dealing with stuff, um, everything what went through it. But no, it's a very very good, well thought out story to listen to. Yeah, no, it's been really good fun to uh, to hear that. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll answer a few more next week. Uh, well, I've I got one more, one more, James, one more. Go on. Bella asks, what's your biggest pet peeve? Mine right now is walking down the road and not knowing which one of you has to move out the way. Whoever's nearest the road. What, you move onto the road? Yeah. No, but what if it's only a narrow pavement? Well, you move onto the road. No, but who does? You or them? The person who's nearest the road. We on about no 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 you're both walking down the pavement coming opposite each coming against each other yes which one moves out of the way first the one who's nearest the road no but you're both next to the road i don't understand what you're saying the one well, one goes the left and one goes there left and then they switch around don't you go past each other it's not rocket science it's country lane you're one of these ditherers aren't you 
Although I looked like a bit of a psychopath earlier, actually. I had to nip it to the doctors to, uh, to pick up a prescription. And uh, I had my, I put my mask on, obviously, to go in. As they, as they Hands up, give me my prescription. Literally, no, I had that. I had my gloves on. <laughs> I, had a, I had a hat on. And I even had some sunglasses on because it was so bright outside. I say a hat, it was like a little beanie type thing. So it was a bit chilly, this one. Um, but yeah, I looked like a nutter. Um, which I suppose solves my first problem because everyone moved out my way then. So well, there you go, then. There's no problem then. Yeah. Problem solved. Anyway, right. Let's crack on and get to the interview today. Well, I say interview, more of a, a loving, lovely chat. With it probably will be more of a chat. I'm going to warn everybody right now. We're going to try and ask some things which we've never even asked Bonnie before because, like I say, we've known her for going on 20 years now. Very good friend of ours, very, very top person. So we hope you enjoy. <laughs> Hi, Bonnie. How are you? Thank you for joining us today. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to get the proper voice. <laughs> Thank you. Good to uh, have a little brother sister Zoom call. Yes, yes. So there's probably quite a few people over the world doing such things at the moment, keeping up with uh, long lost family. It's true, yeah. I'm sure there are many people happening with siblings that people love and siblings that they don't love. I'm wondering, I feel like <laughs> this is like a time where you end up speaking to people that you don't always speak to or speak for such a long time to people that you're kind of like, I know I have nothing to do, but actually I'm going to go now. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, do you reckon there's people who haven't spoken to their like third cousins in about 20 years now? Oh, let's see how they're getting on. Yeah, definitely. Or trying to get everyone on one shared call. I think because now it's so easy. Like, I feel like people try and get like huge amount of people. Mm -hmm. That's happened to me for like two birthday calls. And it's like, wow, this, how is anyone going to like get their word in into the dialogue? Yeah. Yeah. Cause we, we ended up doing a, um, we do a quiz like every Friday night with some friends of mine and uh, a similar thing. Like there's, there's a couple on there who I never see. And it's uh, it's quite. They're actually turns out they're actually really nice people, <laughs> but it's just one of those things like you never you never speak to them when you're out or anything like that. I suppose the opportunities never really come up, so it's quite. So in in one way, it's been quite nice to get that type of, I suppose, forced interaction. I suppose you call it. Yeah, the kind of the communication of. I've also I think if you're in a bar or a space, they're just like there, but you're not really. Like, it's not awkward if you don't speak to them if you never kind of cross paths. Whereas I think when yeah. you're all put on a call and you're all together you're all like on more equal footing, I guess. So yeah, uh, what, what, anything you want to start off with talking about? I thought we'd talk about, um, like one thing. Oh, we, hang on, hang on. I live, is there anything you want to talk about? I think that we should start. Well, I think, <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. What a great idea by me. Just um, you start James. with what you think. No, no, go on, Oliver. You're, you're well in here. Okay. So normally when we're talking about different stuff um, on, this, on these podcasts, uh, we talk a lot about travel-based stuff and things like that. So do you want to talk, obviously you've done quite a lot of different stuff with, um, it's to do with like Greenpeace or even, I was thinking though more about the more recent one, like I was so, I suppose the word would be jealous, would be a nice way of putting it, um, to when you went to Guatemala. So yeah. is there any, like, like the photos of that just looks absolutely out of this world so what was your reasoning first of all for going there for people who don't know and was that the first time you've been there what did you learn stuff like that because I say your pictures just absolutely blew me away yeah I think so it was um a trip that I took in Guatemala back in February with uh, a non-profit called Rainforest Alliance um and it was basically to visit the sort of fieldwork projects they do there 
because they're basically successful models of how you can operate sustainable forestry management, which basically means the conservation and protection of forest landscapes are obviously highly beneficial to the whole planet's health because um, trees, you know, sequester CO2 that we produce um, and sort of turn it into cleaner air. So they're kind of, you know, forests like big forests, like one of the rainforests in Guatemala are kind of the best visual is to imagine them as kind of being lungs of the planet. So I went there to learn about the communities that are from there and live kind of quite remotely in this kind of jungle landscape and they live from the farming practices that they have there so farming actual resources from the rainforest so there's like a ramon tree which is a really old tree that has produces these nuts and they harvest those they have um these type of specific type of palm leaves that they harvest and they sell that to they say that sell that mainly to the u.s market for like uh flower arrangements and things so i basically learned um how they all operate as cooperatives similar to how we understand cooperatives here really how you can be a member of a cooperative and you have kind of like a stake in that and you um your voice can be heard within that so the village runs as a cooperative so you you all work for the cooperative and then the cooperative will pay you from the work that you've put in like the hours of harvesting and so yeah, it was really amazing. I'd never been to Guatemala as a country. And not only did we visit the area Patan where the Maya Biosphere Reserve is, but we also I was went going to ask you if you went to that. Yeah, so, so you fly into Patan from Guatemala City and then the whole area of this rainforest is called the Maya Biosphere Reserve. And then within that, mostly like other people have been, if you're, if you're kind of going there more for sort of tourist reasons, there's, there's three really big Mayan sites so the most famous one is called Tikal um so it's like mm. a mine ruin and then there's like two other smaller ones um so they were really incredible and they were kind of in the midst of this uh, reserve um and then I also visited obviously Guatemala City um and two other places was Lake Atitlan which was like completely different kind of landscape it was like super high altitude mountainous with this like amazing lake in the middle of it and even just like the culture and how people dressed and even the kind of more specific um older mayan tongue of language that they used there was like totally different to the rainforest and then we also went to uh antigua which is a town outside of guatemala city where was the old original first city of guatemala before kind of it then extended to become the newer capital, which is Guatemala City. And that's more like a really old Spanish kind of colonial style place. A lot of coffee is grown there. There's, um, so, yeah. So did like the original, um, I suppose, not necessarily like the Mayan people, but did like a lot of these traditions survive colonialism? Uh, no, I mean, no. I mean, I guess a lot of things didn't. I think a lot of, it was also so many within just, the Mayan kind of people, there's obviously loads of subsections of, of those people. So for instance, when you travel, like I did from different parts, you can see the different reference points of like what survived differently. And, and I think also from what I understand is that naturally a lot of the communities will have moved around Central America. So what we understand as Guatemala could be Guatemala, but like a lot of different people maybe were forced out by colonial kind of settlers, but then kind of were pushed along and moved different places. 
Um, like, I mean, I remember meeting one guy who was in one of these small villages in the rainforest and his family had originated from Mexico and they had come down to settle here to find work kind of, I think like maybe 60, 100 years ago. So it just showed that it was kind of constantly moving, but it backs onto like as the, it backs onto uh, Belize and Mexico, the borders of Guatemala. And how big is it as a country, like the size of it? Um, I feel like <laughs> this is like this is like a real yeah, interrogation. Yeah. Are you sure you yeah. went there? You didn't just you know the history. I think <laughs> I mean it took like to fly from Guatemala City to Patan was like a thirty-minute, forty-minute flight. So it would have been, and then to drive then the other way to Lake Atitlan was like a three-four-hour drive. Okay. So to say to get from one side, you're talking like twelve hours, maybe. Certainly bigger than I thought. I gave it credit for, yeah. So how does it? How does a trip like that come about? Did they? Did the Rainforest Alliance approach you because of your um, like your environmental um, activism and stuff like that, or did you go to them and say, "Hey, that's really cool. Can I be involved?" Yeah. So when all the fires um, started happening in um, the Amazon rainforest, I did my own research into kind of trying to get a grasp of like what nonprofits like support um, communities that live in rainforests and like what were the best ones and rainforest alliance were one of the ones that kept popping up and then I think it was I think yeah so around that time happening I decided to like post on my Instagram stories just like a few different charities highlighted that I thought were like good if people were looking for like somewhere to go and one of them was rainforest alliance and then they had kind of then they saw that I had posted that and then a friend of mine's friend like works at rainforest alliance so that's how it kind of was through a friend but through them it happened quite quickly actually because i only met with them like in january of this year and then they were already going on this trip in february so i kind of tagged along um and they thought it would be like a great way to learn about their work and since going there i have been doing different things with them like i'm they're they had like this whole gala plan, but obviously because of um, everything we're going through, they've changed the whole event to be this kind of like digital event that you can register to go and watch and do. So I'm helping them to kind of, I guess, like just creatively adding input to it and um, helping them direct the little like short film pre-recorded stuff they're doing. Cool. When's that going to be? That is on June 10th and it is free to register. Um, it's called the Digital House Party on Rainforest Alliance. Um, and it's gonna be like 30 minutes of kind of learning about their work, celebrating different projects. And then it's gonna be an hour of um, music. So it's gonna be like different DJs doing like pre-recorded sets of music. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome, that's awesome. But so, so it's more to do with the stuff then going on initially in Brazil then? Yeah, so you into it because what, I remember, yeah, I remember seeing it yeah. on the news and just thinking, like, yeah, obviously, that president's a bit of a uh, a loon when it comes to especially yeah. that type of stuff. I think what's so difficult for like what's so hard to understand with so many environmental issues is like when is it corruption, when is it actually the environment, and when and who is affected? You know, I think basically it's like because so many news, um channels and governments and whatnot are funded by these very polluting industries like as we've even found during the time we're in you begin to be like is that news or is that just they saying that because they're being paid by an oil company to say that 
And same with like the plastics industry, you know, it spends a lot of money hiding stories and boycotting things. So for instance, with the rainforest, with the Amazon fires and forests, you know, a lot of that is purposeful kind of burning to clear for cattle farming and different things. So, you know, however much it's like, oh, the temperature's rising and it's causing these fires at the same time. And sadly, some of them are kind of like purposefully set yeah. off, which is then becomes a climate issue because it's deforesting an area, which then destroys what the rainforest uh, habitat was doing for the climate. Yeah. So. And then once that's gone, it won't come back. Exactly. So I saw when I went to Guatemala, they have this like what they call like the buffer zone around the reserve, which is areas that have already been deforested and turned into cattle ranches and stuff. Um, and it's completely like un like it's just this land that is you never know that it was there yeah Yeah. and you know there's so much corruption behind the cattle farming because a lot of cattle farming isn't actually prosperous cattle farming as an industry it's literally just like fronts for a lot of um drug trade basically yeah yeah but and also as well weren't they just taking land from indigenous people who'd been there for centuries yeah exactly yeah and so why so why I was also like the timing of going to Guatemala was as it was, was because 25 years ago, the Guatemalan government decided to make this area and call it the Maya Biosphere Reserve. And within the reserve, they split up into what they called concessions. So places where there are already villages and people living um, for, I can't remember how many, but a certain amount of leases essentially were given from the government um for 25 years to manage it on their own with their own uh, strategies basically and they would like leave them alone and these places where they granted these leases are like the areas that have basically had zero deforestation whereas obviously these other places that aren't as connected had experienced deforestation so it's like a prime like example that like it works if you let people who are from the land care for the land who care about it mm. they'll protect it so currently they were trying to renew a lot of these leases that had been they'd come up to their 25 years mm. oh, interesting stuff really interesting stuff but it's funny it's interesting how you said about the even just like the the corruption on like government level or or a higher level yeah. or something like that especially in terms of like i mean i found it myself like there's a a, a um completely biodegradable plastics company as mm. among other stuff what they do so it doesn't even leave microplastics it's just completely gone uh within a time period but trying to get that to some major retail once you they're all for it and then you say it, it's going to add a smidge like mm. not even a penny more to your uh, per bag type thing and all of a sudden it's all about the bottom dollar no no, no, no. and i do think you know i think you know, some people do believe, which I can sort of see why, is like during this pandemic, obviously so many different companies already, like oil companies and towns are going bust and and different things. And obviously, sadly, governments have decided that it would be nice to bail them out and not people out. But essentially, if things go bust, like the price of oil and therefore plastics, because plastic is oil um will go up and therefore the bottom line of prices will change so that hopefully maybe uh, a better material becomes same price point as new plastics 
Mm. So in theory, like people will be like, oh, actually, that doesn't make any sense anymore. Like, do we go with these new materials? I can't remember when you didn't uh, focus on (laughs) environmental (laughs) when you didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, while I was there burning my plastic bottle, I wasn't. I'm only joking. But what? When was it that you actually became um, not just involved, but really passionate to? to go on like the Greenpeace vessels and then go to Coca-Cola headquarters and mm-hmm. tell them what's what. Like, when did, when did all this come about for you? Because yeah, since, because since you've been on about it, I mean, I carry this thing, I thought I'd show you, my little yeah. cup, I've got two coffee cups, which I carry with me. So uh, there you go. You had a lasting impression on me. And <laughs> I think as, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that especially in the UK, we seem to be pretty good at recycling especially from our homes and all that kind of stuff so uh but ever since i've seen you talk about and you talked to me about it before that's that's made me even more uh, determined to what you can recycle do because just that well, if, if one person does something then every if every person does something then that will make a big change yeah yeah it's hard to like put a time or a point in which like all of these things kind of became not only just like something I was thinking and worrying about or curious about into actually like me taking action or me collaborating with different nonprofits or working with different organizations like Greenpeace and stuff. I think without knowing it, I guess I've maybe always had uh, just like a curiosity as to like how systems work. Because essentially when you see pollution, you see waste, you see plastic in the sea, you see different things essentially it's got there because the system that should exist is broken and there is many systems that have like we've failed systems and systems have kind of failed us in the idea that like we have failed like this i guess the a system that's so inbuilt in us is consumerism and like just like getting things and buying it and and not really thinking in the moment of the five seconds that you could touch something you're forgetting about the whole life cycle of that one thing. So you could quickly grab a to-go coffee cup and you've had it and it's done its purpose for you and then it's kind of over. Mm -hmm. So I guess I've always been interested in or just understanding that like bigger picture of things. Um, I think even that's why I kind of went to sort of more interest in directing over acting is because I was interested in like the systems of the whole film set and how it all kind of integrates. So I think that's kind of the same way I look at uh, environmental issues. No, it's interesting. And did you, so, I mean, cause you obviously grew up in, you grew up in London. So moving to, moving to California, do you think that that had more of an influence on your, I suppose you have, have more of an influence on you, like, because you're a bit more close to the water, you're more close to the ocean. So you're more noticeable. So you, you're reminded of every day, should I say, you go on the beach and you see, um, I don't know, like a, a six pack holder there. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm painting a, a very stereotypical picture yeah. of a fish <laughs> stuck in something like that, or a bird, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I guess, <laughs> yes, I guess. But living in California and living literally like walking distance from the beach now, I definitely can experience it m- more frequently. But at the same time, very different type of coastline to California. But as well as growing up in London, my family and I, since I was born, went to our little house on the beach on the south coast of England. Um, and so I think without realizing it, even though I was like a city kid, in a way, I feel like that landscape had as much of an impact on my kind of like childhood and adolescence than I 
realized, which you're going to only realize later on. I was like, oh, why do all the stories I want to make or films I want to tell or things I'm interested in, like always seem to have some sort of coastal landscape. And so I think, yes, for sure, for living here. But I think in a way that was also really influential. James? Yeah. Anything to add? I'm, I'm trying to, it's really hard to uh, gauge if you're taking the lead or not on this. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm sitting back. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm blown away by everything. I think it's really, really cool. What would, what was, so with the Guatemala thing that you've done recently, that would be the best thing that you've done so far, if you've yet to choose? Or um, is that not fair to say you can't choose because they're all very important in their own individual ways? Kind of, I think, I guess what's, when I look at like the different trips I've taken with different organizations, I think when you, the experience of being on the trip is both like really overwhelming and also like really helps to sort of like clarify your understanding of things. Um, I think when people, you know, and you just open the newspaper or you look online and you see some story about some climate crisis issue, it can be like naturally quite overwhelming. Um, but I found from the trips, even though they've all been quite different, is that you just realize how much there is to like learn and understand, but then you realize they all kind of feed into the same thing and they all become this similar kind of issue of like what I'm saying, which is just like questioning where things come from and like really just asking for transparency behind the things you buy or the companies you support, you know. I think what's really difficult from the time we're in is that when, when you, when you sort of are, when you suddenly start the journey of like understanding, like what's up with the climate and our future, you obviously begin to like want to make changes and try your best as an individual. But I think, which is obviously amazing to do, but I think it's also unfair for governments and, uh, businesses to like put all of the onus and pressure on us to like change what we're doing um and i think the more and more trips i've done the more i've that's kind of been clear to me that it's great to inspire individual action and like a shifting of habits but i think it really comes down to like governments need to create policy that protects people and companies need to take back the ownership of like their waste and their impact and not put it on us because the truth is yes it's great we recycle but like the scary statistic the depressing statistic of how much plastic is actually recycled that's even put in a recycling bin is is heartbreakingly sad so and then you're going to think oh my god should i not even bother recycling something mm. so i think it just comes back to like again like i said the systems are like broken and I do think like this time has been quite a highlighter of that mm. because it's been, like, people... it's, been, it's been really noticeable, even with say, especially in England at the moment, because there's pretty much no air traffic in the air mm. at all. Um, to the point where I was in my garden the other day and this, this aircraft came over quite low and I've never seen it on one that flight path before, but even two, I could see, I thought, what the hell is that? So I ran inside and got on my um, laptop and pulled up the, the radar app. And I saw that how many, how few aircraft is in the air mm. over the country. But you can also do a time check on it. So you go back, um, say this time last year, and it was just incredible the difference. Um, what was obviously that? Obviously, it looks like the um, airlines are going to change for probably as much as 
the biggest industry probably of, of all of them so far at the end of all this lockdown. So what the shape of air travel will be at the end of that, we don't know. But it was a real eye-opener to me is how much air traffic there is in the air, um, which you don't really pay any attention to because it's miles, you know, miles above. Yeah, air. yeah. Sorry, is that that's so loud? Wait. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the, it's the government's coming for you, Bon. They're, They're coming. Talking. They know I'm talking about corruption. <laughs> 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 get out of our country um anyway no what well, yeah i think the you know the lessening of travel that we're all seeing and doing less of ourselves obviously highlights that like this is the kind of amount of lowering of flying and driving we need to be doing and it's obviously proved that we've all proven that we can all mass mobilize together and stay at home. And we also need to like mobilize. And as people have used the language of like flattening the curve of the virus, it's like the same language is used often around the climate crisis, which is like flattening the curve of CO2 emissions. So all that kind of language around this seems like quite similar to the climate crisis. And I think when people kind of show doubt maybe in the future of like oh we can't do that there's no way that people are going to do that i do think that this time will be like well we did it you know for for the coronavirus why couldn't we do it for this kind of thing yeah. like there are i mean you see all these statistics on maps like you're saying like you know the air quality gone up and um oh there was an interesting thing that was like the amount of uh, pollution in the air in China during a certain week or two actually saved like 75,000 people's lives, like future lives because of like air pollution and how that affects your health. Um, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, especially over there as well, because I remember when we were out there um, and we were doing a, uh, James and I were in, in Shanghai and they were reporting on in Beijing, they'd had to stop work because it had reached the, wow, yeah. the all-time limit of smog that you're not allowed out. Um, but on the news, so it was the, the BBC News, like the World Service, and they started saying, you know, and in Beijing, and the screen just went black for about yeah. 90 seconds or so, and then it came back up again. And that's obviously the censorship over there, so they don't see the full story. They don't see you know, what this is doing yeah. to the, I mean, obviously people are aware of that. Yeah. Um, but it's but, like also statistics are always going to be like so different to different places. Like I was watching this documentary yeah. the other day that people might like, it's called the story of plastic. And I'm doing like a Q and a with Greenpeace next Saturday, not this Saturday, next Saturday, the, I want to say the 16th, but I don't know when the day is. Anyway, I'm doing a Q and a with um, soon, some, of the, soon. some of the people in the, uh, from this film and in this film for instance I think they're in Delhi at one point and they sent some like it's by like a plastic kind of refinery like a chemical plant and they had sent some egg samples from this area to somewhere in the UK that looks at you know the pollution in, in air quality and they literally sent a message back being like do not go outside do not you know this is terrible you cannot and they're like well mm cool because we can't do anything about it because we all live around it and we work here so it's like unsafe yet it goes on and i think that's when i went to guatemala and what i have found from like you know learning more and more about the climate crisis and hearing different people's stories is 
the reason why people don't take action is because most of the people that are being affected by it now are communities that just basically get marginalized and and not seen in the sense that they're always often in lower income neighborhoods that are people you know the other communities that surround oil refineries or chemical plants or areas that are deforested yeah. so i think until it starts affecting kind of people the kind of demographic of people who govern countries i don't think it's gonna hit home yeah. yet which i suppose goes back as far as the industrial revolution's birth isn't it really you know the workers yeah. next to the factories and the the owners are far away so it's yeah as you say it's 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 not it's not going to happen until it hits them to begin with or where it hurts which is more than likely in the pocket yeah basically so, never mind never mind james find a segue into something else <laughs> right okay um uh yeah, speaking of the industrial revolution that happened quite a while ago also happened quite a while ago <laughs> we uh, let's say, what, January 2001, King's Cross Station. Yeah. That's when we met for the first time. I know, it was almost, are we gonna, we have like a anniversary, like, don't you get those things where you leave school 10 years later and you get an anniversary? Is that this summer? Yes, it was something, wasn't it? I remember getting a, yeah, it would be near to, would it be? No, it's this summer because no. I was 19 when we finished. And I'm 29. It was yeah, because I, I remember being in the, um, I, I got one actually yesterday through that it was 10 years ago that um, James, myself, Rupert and Tom managed to blag a golfing trip on the company credit card for the <laughs> DVD extras of the sixth movie. Yeah. Well, two nights, staying, two nights stay at the Ryder Cups uh, course <laughs> in Celtic Manor. Yeah, remember that? That came up um, as 10 years ago recently. So that was... Uh, Your memory. Yeah, time flies by with that one, yeah. But yeah, no, it's pretty scary that, because in theory as well, like we shot them for 10 years and then it will be 10 years since we finished them, which is to me really weird that it will, it will suddenly become as long ago than how long the whole experience lasted. Because um, when I finished the films, I had spent more of my life in the films than not, because I was 29 and I was nine when I started. Yeah. So I'd spent more of my life in them, which is crazy. But yeah, I can't honestly, sometimes it feels like, yesterday and then another time it feels like another person did it like another how life. did you how did you get into it i don't know if i've ever asked you oh you not you haven't heard me give this answer in yes, I have. Many, I uh, you <laughs> whenever i feel whenever like we did a q a you never sat down and listened i feel <laughs> yeah. like sure in q a's i feel like i could probably give the other answers of other people like well let me tell you about <laughs> these two um so my brother Lewis, who's older than me, had read like the first two books, I guess, when I was like when when it was like a known thing that they were making films out of the books, he had read them and he was like, Oh, you really remind me of this character in it called Ginny, you should audition for it. And I was like, What? No idea what he's talking about, what character, like never been for an audition or ever even wanted to be like an actor. And my mum came home from work and my brother and I were like can we get can Bonnie get an audition in Harry Potter like how can we figure this out so then my mum rang had like no idea so she rang Bloomsbury who were the publishers and the publishers gave her the number to the casting director and then my mum called them and they were like yeah sure if you can just send a few photos of Bonnie uh and like could she write like a little sentence of why she wants to be in the film and who she wants to play so I did that and then I went for one audition with the casting director and then like quite a while later and we thought like that was fun didn't happen 
uh, called back, and then I went and met with Chris Columbus and David Hayman. But so, I also so didn't. So we've already started filming at that point. No, it still happened. Like no, no, it was still happening when you summer. would have been auditioning. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, no, because I remember the when I went for the recall. Well, I went for the set. I swear you were both there, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe not. Maybe Matt was definitely there because I remember like it was like in this room waiting to go in to meet them and there were like other people waiting, but everyone was, everyone looked like they were not auditioning for Ginny. Everyone was I remember being, there. I remember an audition which um, there was Matt Lewis, Luke Youngblood. Yeah, um, I think it was that one. So you were the other person, there was someone else there, but I can never remember who was that. It was me, it was me. It was like, well, round, well, well. We, were all, we were all waiting in this room that had like this big wooden round table kind of thing. Wow, that was it, yeah. And it was at least in, like, in, the, produ in the production office. Yeah, and there was a, and, um, I just remember a water tank kept making bubbles. Yes, oh my God, yes. Wow. That is crazy. Bloody hell, that's blowing my mind. <laughs> but, and also though as well, the funny thing is that, that that wasn't even like a final audition, that was like the, the second or... Oh really? That was my right. final audition. Granted though, Ginny's characters literally, she didn't even say anything till like my first line that I then had in the first film, Chris Columbus gave me that day. Like I didn't even have it in the script. Hmm. So I wasn't, yeah, my role was pretty small. So, I'm, yeah, so we, we started filming um, in the September, but then we didn't film the King's Cross scene until the January. Yeah. And it was I remember so the, cold. It was so cold. So cold, yeah. <laughs> but we had, I had a hot water bottle like, under my costume. I was holding yeah. on to. <laughs> well, on on the set, obviously there was Oliver, Rupert, and myself. Yeah. But we we hadn't met you or Julie. Yeah. Uh, until then, I mean, Chris, uh, sorry, Chris, who Chris Rangi played Percy, he was with us as well. So there's the four of us there, and then you and Julie came in, and I remember. Julie screaming like uh, like pretty much shouting down the train where are my boys I need to meet my boys and then you were with her as well yeah because um, I remember only meeting her for the first time there and I'd obviously like never been on a film set or like knew anything like literally just I always think about that like how they just like put you on a film set and you're just gonna know like what all this terminology like kind of means yeah and I remember her just being very much like come here, like, I've got you, kind of, I'll put you, you know, I've got you under my wing, kind of thing. And I remember just feeling so much safer knowing that I had her, like, showing me the yeah. way, not knowing at that age, like, what an amazing actress and career she had had, you know. So it was, like, years later, do you then sort of start looking into all these actors we were around's work, and you're like, oh, whoa, these people are huge. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, cool. it's crazy as well, if you think, it's like, how, as a you know, a film family, the first time we met was probably half an hour or so before, if that, yeah, before yeah. the cameras were rolling on that, on that platform. I always think that, like, I think, obviously there's just like so much to get filmed in a production like that. But I always think for, you know, the budgets that they have, like why there is not more time spent on those kind of things. Just in terms of like rehearsals and dynamics and, I don't know, that's maybe me like more from like a director's point of view where I feel like that's so, A, it would be super fun to do. And every, you just like- Every producer and accountant on a Nightmare. Film, like, no, no, no. <laughs> about five weeks of just like getting to know each other. In the Bahamas. Um, yeah, preferably somewhere hot. Um, 
but I don't know. Yeah. But I think, you know what though? Like I feel like Chris Columbus as a director was so good at that. And I always feel he's like under kind of celebrated for the work that he did for Definitely. the Harry Potter world. Cause I feel like he, A, didn't make you feel like a kid. He made you feel like you were like there working like everyone else and you were an act, you were acting and you had like something to give. Like he let you kind of, gain confidence I guess and he just like made it feel like Hogwarts was a home like when you watch those films I just think he added this warmth to it that yeah and, to be and, and again and again maybe not necessarily understanding his stand like for me anyway understanding what Chris's actual standing in the industry was at the time being sure, yeah. like our age we're kind of like oh yeah Chris is this really cool guy who's um he's open to listening to your ideas now whether he actually wanted to take those on on board or whatever, but he didn't say at any point, did he ever say, yeah, you're, you're junior cast. We don't need to know. It was always like, which always got you, made you, gave you confidence into wanting to do stuff and try different stuff on the film set. Um, which as you say, is a, is a totally different place, all this new terminology, everything like that. But yet you could still have a laugh with him and you could still um, openly talk to him about stuff as well. Um, yeah. And that was, that was one thing what, now, now you mention it, thinking back was just an incredible thing. Yeah, he did just have a way with it, which he then realised from his other work, like why? Like that was his wheelhouse kind of thing. Yeah. I did actually saw a little nugget from uh, a film the other day, actually, I was watching. So Mrs. Doubtfire was on the TV. And, you know, at the very end, when they, they, they interview this really awful nanny who's really, like, bitter and everything, and they're crossing names off a list. Well, the final name they cross off is this nanny's name, but the nanny's name is actually Paula Dupre, who was one of the ah. producers on Potter. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I saw that and, and laughed. You're so, like, uh, I know who that again, is. Yeah, exactly. So it made me, it made me really laugh. But again, it's, it's also, in hindsight, not understanding, again, people like Paula and people like that who played, who played such a big role in getting the films moving to begin with. Yeah, definitely. We, obviously, you, we, we talk about David Heyman as well. Um, who, who get all that? Who got all that rolling? But just I don't know. Just in in hindsight, it's just crazy that they gave so many young kids the freedom to have fun with it and not pigeonhole them with it. Yeah, for sure. Like have fun. Know that you were like there was joy and like goofiness and fun. But then at the end of the day, like we were working, and I think that like balance was pretty good. Like it never felt forced, and it never felt like chaotic. Because it could have been mm. chaos, really. Like they they did, obviously, without us realizing, manage us pretty well, but not to the point of making it not fun. Strict. Yeah, no. it was like a really. But good also, I mean, start. if you think as well, like we had to get what three hours minimum in a day of schooling, um, yeah. which I suppose as many kids now in this lockdown understand that that rule maybe they have to get. So I know many it's funny. I was speaking to my uh, friend the other day about his kids, and I and and I was saying it's funny. This all really reminds me of like when you had to go and like find the work you were missing um, from your teachers and like speak to each of them and like do kind of your version of it. It's like a similar, I think it basically asks a lot of like uh, organization and like dedication from you as a student because you've got to like want to keep up with it as well as the laws of yeah. X amount of hours in a week. You also did have to be pretty good at like being on top of it. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. And also as well, there's two things I realized that one was I did very well at subjects I enjoyed, but mm. subjects I didn't kind of took a bit of a back seat. Um, but also I learned, um, and I'm sure that if there's a couple of teachers listening, they'll understand this. 
not all teachers plan their lessons out weeks in advance so, so it'd be amazing the amount of times you'd say to a teacher yeah I'm, I'm filming in um say you're on the tuesday i'm filming from thursday till whenever like two weeks time and it'll be right okay we'll just work from the textbook there would be no plan yeah. to it there'll be nothing to it so it was a you learn that side of it as well oh right they they actually blag it quite a bit of the time. <laughs> no idea <laughs> or I found like it was more overwhelming sometimes going back to school like if I had like a day or two off sometimes I'm not filming sometimes I'd be like actually I'm just going to still come into the studio anyway and catch up on my work because sometimes I would go to school and I'd have like maths and I'd be like okay cool I feel like I'm pretty up to speed and then go to a history class and I'm like what are you talking about like I'm not like it would just be hard to be at the same level and time and stuff. Mm, mm, no, I definitely so don't miss that. Miss school. No. <laughs> well, again as well, but like we're talking about like, you've got to get what, three hours in a day. You've got to take breaks at certain times of the day for the crew. Um, obviously lunch breaks have got to be a certain time period. We had to be offset by seven. Was it? Or eight no, o'clock? Five. Like that. Pardon? It was just so many hours before you then had to come in the next day. Yeah, so you couldn't do a certain amount of time you in could, between. You that. could be there, sorry, nine and a half hours you could be from the beginning. Yeah, right. Well, now yeah. being adults, it's 12, 12 hours and they can ask you to do longer than that if you yeah. want to do it. Which normally it's kind like, of wild when you hear people's out, like some, you know, will go in at 8 a.m. and leave at like 4 a.m. And obviously yeah. then you won't get called in the next day till later, but it's also like crazy i did yeah. a i did a film last year year before year before which there was a 21 hour day oh i think we wrapped it i don't know it's something stupid like four in the morning it was it just, so we'll see you at eight and i was like what in the evening yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah you realize how protect or also we just like those you know the harry potter film sets were just like so set up and you go on other film sets and you're like oh whoa i like really started back to front with this like yeah, you start exactly. with these like huge amazing sets and and then you realize like there are very many different versions and spectrums of doing it yeah nice i mean what would you say would be then your in terms of like the differences uh i say talking about differences and going on to different films away from potter but in terms of the potter films what would you say was the one what stands out the most filming wise Ooh, uh, so I'm not. I, I don't mean it's in like it was better because I mean in terms. Yeah, of, yeah. We were always asked what's the best hard one, because I, I find feel hard like, to do. But yeah, there was like different. Like the Chamber of Secrets is really cool because suddenly I was actually acting, whereas in the first one I was just like in that one scene, and and I really enjoyed it because we did all these like different weird like B-roll stuff, which is meant to be all the stuff where like she's taken over by Tom Riddle's diary, and there was all these like weird kind of cutaway stuffs that we did that felt quite experimental like there wasn't really much of a plan we just like second unit like me possessed by a diary like it was like these was, weird that, was that the one filmed in gloucester in the uh, uh in the cloisters isn't it? in the cathedral yeah we did stuff there yeah and then with the right in the uh, the blood on the wall oh yeah yeah exactly yeah so they is did it stuff true? Like you may know is it true they had to cut that because otherwise it would have become a 12 or something or a pg-13 or something like that well there was a scene where i went into the chicken coop and like killed the chickens to really? yeah we filmed that <laughs> i'm like what was this, was this did you actually was this yeah but i like I was I was a snowstorm. it was like a snowstorm in this thing and it was like me walking to the chicken coop <laughs> i mean it was like uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so, we, bon, so, bon, so was this uh, was Peter McDonald directing Second Unit then? Um, I think yes, so, he would have yeah. been. Yeah, definitely. Been, yeah. So, so for those who don't know, Peter Mack is an absolute legend when it comes to this type of stuff. But um, just, yeah, so he's good. probably he's probably bringing some of the stuff he worked on Rambo into it as well. So. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. I just love he was just like yeah, whatever. Like yeah, not gonna get used, but we will. Um, but so that film was fun. So I remember I also... you were shooting in the Chamber of Secrets while we were all filming something else on the whatever, like I said, the two units that are running, obviously you've got first unit, which is the principal photography, and second unit, which is all the, the bigger shots. We were filming all the longer shots on second unit, and you were in the chamber, so you'd seen you were there for months. Oh my God, we were there for weeks. And I'm like, obviously half dead most of the time. So I'm just lying on the floor, like, while Stan's doing all these like different things with uh, Christian Coulson, who's Tom Riddle, like, all these stuff with like the basilisk. And I was just like, when am I going to wake up? And then I was like, today, no, no, it didn't get to it tomorrow. And then finally it's like, I get to wake up. <laughs> but yeah, it was a cool, um, it was one of my favorite sets. It was big and cool. But and then, I don't know, I love, and then they grew, all grew on me in terms of the films being, like when I reflect back on them, I'm like, oh, but that one was really fun because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, because it, like, I mean, I it, really does, like it does all merge into one, doesn't it, after a while? Yeah, like I loved all the Dumbledore's army stuff. I loved that because you know then it was well from the fourth film we started having like different much newer cast come in and that was kind of refreshing and did you like the i've never i've never told anyone this but i hated the room requirement set the room requirement set you know what i liked it and then it was cool to look at and then i got really claustrophobic in it yeah and hot because it's just like really hot we had to wear those shoes every time we stepped into it because it was all mirrors (laughs) And then towards the end, it was just like too many people in one room. Like it got a bit hysterical. But uh, I think very... that's why I like it. Because I just think it was like such a specific time when everyone was just like, I don't know, just like annoying teenagers. <laughs> I think I broke at least three ones in that yeah. set by just throwing them around. Or I know I was trying to be a drummer. When you, you know, drummers like spin the, the cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I failed miserably. Um <laughs> <laughs> then I also loved all the Battle of Hogwarts. I don't know, it's hard. Well, the Burrow actually, the Burrow was a good set. So good. I also loved how it like changed, like each time it was like another like weird thing added. Or that sequence we did where it was like all on fire. Yeah, yeah. That was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The in the yeah. water, yeah. Mm. Yes, very much. So I remember that um, you were. I think you were the first person out of the cast that would actively go into the art department all the time <laughs> yeah you kind of opened the doors to everybody else yeah i'm it's just like, gonna go there for it yeah exactly yeah, yeah i think my curiosity definitely led me into some good uh apprentice little things yeah didn't you did, didn't your work experience wasn't that at the art department yeah my my like f- this project that i did in my like design technology a level i think had to be like if other people in class you have to like find like a design firm that you go and work with for a week to like create this like dissertation style kind of project thing so I was like oh I'll just go into the art department instead (laughs) and so I had to you for the project you have to like follow something being made so I like try to follow like the process and the step being made as my case study um and then which one uh, 
I can't even remember, honestly. No. I don't know. How did you have that in? Because it's all confidential. Did you just have to say set? Yeah, I think it had to be like super obscure and like kind of, I don't even know how I did that. That's true. Maybe I had to like use an example of like an old one, an old set from a previous film. Yeah. I don't know. But then, yeah, but then I definitely, outside of that case study, did a lot of like work experience in different departments, like uh, when it was like the summer holiday. And then I remember doing the editing department. I remember shadowing David Yates for a few days, did costume, props, art department. I can't remember what else. Oh, and then I also went into some sound stuff too, like in the post-production. I went and watched them do some of the like recording of the symphony and like with the music and so, yeah. See, so like, I remember, especially the, especially the, uh, the second movie when you were at Leavesden Studios for the whole time, you were literally like mm. someone threw a bouncy ball in the room. <laughs> and that's, that's the best way I can describe it is it was like zigzagging everywhere, speak to everybody, seeing what everybody's doing. Yeah, it's like, ah, what does this do? What does this do? What does that do? Just gotta ask. What ask you again? I, really, I really feel as I didn't utilize everything what was going on. I mean, I had a little nose in the art department every now and then, but yeah. other than that, I suppose, yeah, that was probably mostly it, I suppose. And then the rest of it was just goofing around in Rupert's room. Yeah, we definitely missed out, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think and, it's just uh, that, yeah, curiosity of like, I also think it's that when you're younger, you're just like not afraid to ask questions. Like now, I think sometimes you do things and you don't want to look like you don't know something or. You, yeah, I think that's just like being an adult. You're suddenly you have this feeling like you need to know what's you have your life together. But I think as a kid, there was this like innocence that meant like you would ask the most obvious things, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Which I think is what was so special about getting into those films when we did is because like it's before you kind of become like aware of yourself. Yeah. Like, I think it'd be very different if you started acting when you were like 18 or something, when you're so conscious. Yeah. Especially yeah, on I mean. a big production like that. Mm. No, yeah. It's definitely, uh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely fun. But is there, in terms of like awkwardness on a set or something like that? Because obviously there's a scene when you and um, when Ginny and Harry are kissing and then George is in the background type thing. Did you have any idea what that was going to be like before we shot because I didn't have a clue I just knew that you guys were doing your thing at the front and I just had to creepily be in the background so I was actually watching um I think it was a couple of days before I I was watching Looney Tunes because I'm a big kid at her and I noticed that you know when Bugs Bunny tiptoes in very trying to be quiet but trying to let everyone know he's there type thing so he took really so I just did that and see what see what happened so in yeah. the background, when you watch the film, that's why I'm looking like I'm really over-exaggerating it, was to do that. But I remember doing it the first time and just thinking, like, did that. And then thought, right, they haven't laughed in my face yet, so I think I'm okay. But then just standing there, and I felt really awkward with it anyway, because it is a weird thing to do anyway. And then yeah. putting this toothbrush in my hole, in my ear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is actually good. It actually folded in on itself. So it made oh, it look like I didn't it. actually have a... I didn't really have much, well, I don't have anyway, but didn't look at a lot going on in between the years. So it just went all the way through. Um, <laughs> but was that, as I say, but did you know what, did you obviously, I don't mean like planning it out throughout the whole scene, but did you have any idea how that scene was going to go on for or anything like that? 
No, not really. I guess with all things, I do think like all the blocking we did for anything was like that morning. It wasn't like that prepared in terms of like mm. knowing how it's going to go. And I think all those, those things, those kind of scenes are just so weird because you're like emulating something that's like meant to feel romantic and like this moment. And it's like so gentle yet you're surrounded by like the most unromantic, ungentle environment that is a film set. Like it's so like, perfunct and like kind of yeah technical. there's literally someone having a donut behind the camp like yeah. on, on somewhere exactly on the, like, making it on. and you're like uh <laughs> and just like so many people and like and then you they need to do it again for some weird reason that's usually technical and it's just like okay it's just weird i think how annoying was it on the press tour after that being asked that every oh my gosh yeah what's it like to kiss harry potter <laughs> um and also even just like you meet people and in terms of like the fan base and stuff and obviously that's like they want to know it that's a big big question hmm. i just say he's a terrible kisser and then you know <laughs> and then they're not, you know keep it keep it a secret um but yeah no it's funny it's also just the pressure i think you know you read it was always every time the book came out, you didn't know what was going to happen to the character. So then you're like waiting to find out what happens. And then I remember when that happened, it was at first, it was like, oh, that's cool. Like that's obviously such a development and like for the character. And it means that, you know, my role developed, but then like the second wave is like, oh no, now I have to like do something that's like quite it. significant and loads of people are going to have their opinions on, on, how they think it should be done and if that's who he should have ended up with and you know everyone has their opinions very much so mm. in that world so it's also like oh no now it's like a bit more of a responsibility did you did you find then that reading the books when they came out as, as you said like none of us knew what happened to the characters or anything like that until we read the books when they came mm. out so we were probably the most eager fans in the world because you want to know what's happening to your character did you yeah. find that when you read the book for the first time you'd almost skip through because i'm i was guilty of it i'd almost skip through the general plot line uh <laughs> right harry 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 uh, george right what does george do now did you almost find that you did that or are you a lot more literate than i am to <laughs> i didn't do that i did slowly read it <laughs> but i in my family we'd all be reading at once like each with our book and i was maybe the third fastest like I was not the fastest and I wasn't the slowest but um so so either a member of my family would get there earlier or friends would and they'd be like oh did you read page 622 you're like no what happens on that page you know and and you'd be like try and force yourself not to flick forward and look at it yeah um but yeah it's definitely like your fate in the pages are coming up James Segway. <laughs> Speaking of learning things, what was it like to learn the tango? <laughs> <laughs> well, Oliver sent um, me all these notes earlier, so I'm trying to. Uh, put them in the you mean in the fourth? In, in the, the fourth, fourth one, because I know yeah. that we learned. I was so, so annoyed we, that I learned this whole dance routine. Matt didn't you learn the foxtrot as well? Well, Matt and I learned this whole tango sequence no i don't think the fox but anyway this whole sequence this idea that like Ginny and neville secretly loved their ballroom dancing and like had like 
created this whole routine that meant that like for a split moment Harry was like saw me in a way that he didn't see me before as like a supposed moment to like set up for the next film um but I didn't ever get to show him my tango <laughs> and yeah. Matt and I were so annoyed because I thought it was pretty cool yeah, but I think all of that was fun. Like the fact they got Wayne McGregor in, who's such an incredible choreographer, to come in and just teach us like a simple routine. Yet they got this like world famous choreographer in. Again, and similar things to some like when some of the major actors turn up at the time. I'm probably speaking from definitely speaking for myself, obviously. But I had no idea what a huge reputation he had. Mm. Oh yeah, with so many people, you don't realize, do you? Till after you're like, oh. Because also it just like happens to you a lot. You know, people just show up and you're like, okay, cool. Hey, nice to meet you. Which is also nice because then you feel like everyone's kind of on a similar footing because you kind of treat each other like that. Mm -hmm. In the same way how we were saying before, how important it was as kids to be like, given the confidence that like our opinion mattered and like being there was important. And I think it was good to make us like, uh, take it seriously but like for ourselves not for other people yeah yeah definitely because I remember when we were doing all those um, when we were learning that stuff for the uh, the Yule Ball sequences that it just seemed to be I don't even think it was planned at the beginning anyway that we would have that type of choreography tuition as it were which was in hindsight was absolutely brilliant because it was mm. I had no idea and, it, and the first day when we filmed when we rehearsed I don't know if I can't remember were you rehearsing with us as well or were you rehearsing separately I can't remember I can't remember anything I remember the first I remember the first time we practiced it was um it was literally like in the film where you've got the boys on one side and the girls on the other yeah and it yeah. was like all there was like all us lot who were very I suppose nervous um you know teenagers just standing there and you've got like these girls who are um i think they were all from italia conti or somewhere like that some of the one of the um the dramatic schools in in london and they would yeah okay yeah we'll do that now and yeah they're like oh you like that scene as well where mcgonagall's teaching us and we filmed it in oxford do you remember that scene mm -hmm. yes you know, like that big that gramophone scene, yeah. thing and like yeah. doesn't she get like up. I can't remember those. Was, was like... Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was some it was things exactly like didn't like even need to perform. Like we were literally living it. Like we were living that kind of like, oh no, we have to do the dance scene with them. No. Yeah. It was it was it was cool though because I just remember it was um it was the first time that I think you had a skill or you developed a skill anyway from filming what you could take forward anywhere else, which was True. I did anyway. Um so do you use your like, wand movement? We had all those like, I love it, like the halfway no. through the film, they were suddenly like, okay, now wand movements and like dueling needs to have move numbers and, and things. Do you remember that? All of the- Do you want to know a secret, Barn? We'll tell you a secret. Oh, we, yeah. We walk, because cause, um, Leeson Studios originally, unlike it is now, this amazing film set, this film studio, it was originally a, a, a factory. So it looked like a very old fashioned, it was a Rolls Royce, um, yeah, yeah, Rolls-Royce factory. Yeah. So the inside of it was like a pretty much like a factory um, hangar almost. I mean, and inside, like... and in and inside, <laughs> they 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 had set up all these marquees. And what I'm I was getting to anyway, is yeah. that we were walking, we were walking down this way, past around the marquee corner, and we saw the 
the guy who was teaching everyone how to do all the dueling and everything like that, he had his back to us. And we could see there was you, there was, I think Evie was there, Matt, um, I can't remember who else, like Alfie, loads of other, all the other guys were there standing, looking quite confused. Well, I don't know if confused or bored is the answer. But anyway, we saw, well, the guy, the guy was getting really over into it and like showing everyone what to do. We kind of looked at each other, stepped back and went, yeah, we'll, we'll skip this bit. So we didn't actually do it. <laughs> So wait, you never learned those moves. You just decided to stick with your own wand skills. Yeah, I mean, we thought because they're slightly older, they'd they'd be already a bit more advanced. <laughs> they'd be just so advanced they'd made up their own moves. Exactly. Like, yeah. We have our own unique style now. That's or you would you just look, feel like, or you just feel like that wasn't part of the curriculum when we started school. That's a new curriculum. Yeah, we we yeah. we deemed it as you know how people have different kind of handwriting. That's that was our yeah we were chatting with a few of the uh the stunt lads as well who had also seen what was they had already had their own interpretation of it so they just said yeah so if you just hold your hand up on one of them and then go back on the other that'll be fine it was, like, it was so um that it was just like what this is like kind of i get it but also like it was funny it did but just hey, show yeah. the detail that that was going into it did, yeah. I think just right, sure. which probably in hindsight, I would, I, yeah, probably in hindsight, I would have gone into it now, looking back. What, and done it? <laughs> yeah, I would have done one lesson. Yeah, exactly. Well, at least show, funny. show I think it was like pretty humorous, to be honest, the whole thing. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what are we doing? Like, where, how did my life end up here? This is crazy. <laughs> That is all good fun. All good fun in the end. But no, I think I think that was it because it's it's quite funny. We've been back to the. Uh, I'm trying to say, I don't know. Come on, you segue. No, I had a spider running across. My, I don't know where this spider came from. I've been oh my god, a bird house. flew into my house earlier. Thank God I managed to get it out because that would have it really freaked me out. It would have been terrible audio. It would have been just flapping <laughs> in the ceiling. I realised I had too many. I feel like every bin man is coming to my street right now. Um, it's the corporation's bond. That's it's what it all is. <laughs> come to collect my recycling. <laughs> yeah, and then exactly. Yeah. <laughs> recycle this. They're coming but to that me. But in terms of like, um, I'm trying to find a segue. So, segueing over to. Um, <laughs> you love a segue. Obviously, that was, so, obviously, that was less natural than what you were doing before. To. All right. So, going. Okay. Let me what try and what think topics have you not covered that you want to cover? I'm just trying to think of ones where we've. I think we've kind of done the whole part of thing now because we've spoken a lot about different bits and bobs. So I was just trying to think of one, say, what we, where have we done stuff like that? Well, like music, for example, like when we were out in Philly last year. Mm -hmm. So we were actually, because you and James went to a gig. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, out, yeah, and you're, you just said, all oh, my mates are playing in town. Do you want to go? So we were meeting up with some friends. So I was, I was like, no, I'll, I'll hang with these guys. But James went to the gig. And I don't think he quite understood the size of the band. <laughs> Going to a little show, it's just gonna be like ten people and like a in a pub. I, I actually thought it was gonna literally just that. Did you literally think that's what it was? Yeah. No what? No. I thought you knew the band. Well, I did when you when I heard them playing or like their name. Uh, right, like, right, yeah, right. Because I remember being like, come on, we're gonna get like gotta go, like we're gonna miss. I really wanna see them. They're like a really good band. So for okay. those who aren't so for those who are listening, who who was the band? Tame Impala was the band, which is an Australian band who like, they must have had now like three or four albums out. 
right? And it was, we got there, there was about 20 or thousand people. And Philly's quite, um, could be a bit of a, a tough crowd. To the point, say. to the point. To the point, some people. <laughs> I remember we got to our seats. Well, obviously it was standing room only, but we got to where our, our seats should have been. Yeah. Now these guys there, do you remember? And then like this kid like looked and I was like, Are you, you're in our place. And he was like, hmm. Yeah, and then, okay. And then the guy behind kind of tapped him on the saw, like saw you and me. I I don't know if he knew who we recognised or something, but not this guy on the uh, on the shoulder and said, "Yeah, move! I'm going to kick you in the head." <laughs> so, like, oh my two, god! I, like, <laughs> I didn't even hear that. I didn't yeah, realise like, that. It's like, cheers, oh, mate. Hey, <laughs> There's a friendly crowd. So well, we got us, we got our spots, which was good. Yeah, uh, we really got our, we were pretty close. <laughs> Yeah. But that was a really good concert. But then I was actually now I'm thinking about it. We how many like we've been to quite a few musicals. Yeah, like years, I feel like festivals too. I think. We've done a few festivals together, haven't we? We definitely did. We did Reading, didn't we do? Definitely Redding. did Reading with uh, who else was there? It was Katie Kane, Katie Young, Afshan. Afshan Kane. Yes. And then I feel like Dan and Jody were there too that year. Yeah. And Sarah they, they went hardcore and camping though, were they? No, we were hardcore. Um, yeah. <laughs> and trending what else? Uh, we saw you there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think we were all dressed in uh, in dresses. Oh my uh, gosh, you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> I, rem I remember walking over and you. I don't know who you were with, but I remember your face just dropped. Like, oh Jesus Christ! Oh, look who it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, rem I remember walking. I remember walking there, and there were these people who were. They were probably taking one or two things they probably shouldn't have done. And um, and they just saw like he was just like, oh my god, it's Fred and George. <laughs> and we're, we're it is pretty like... funny when you're in environments like that, and people are so in the moment of like being at the festival or the concert, and then they kind of and they're looking at whoever they're like excited to see, and then they like see you kind of more close, and they're like, wait, what? It's like this, like no, that can't be real. Like I must be just like out of my head of losing my mind and I'm assuming that they're those people. Yeah. I think yeah, it's the exactly. same happens for kids, like when they're like set on you being a character and then they see you out of context and it's like, what? But no, like that's not possible. Well, I still get, I mean, I still get that with a lot of people. Like they say, oh, I can't believe you dyed your hair. <laughs> and I always think, all the other actually, way around. Didn't actually fly <laughs> broomsticks either, but you know, you, you see fast wait, that what? bit. You didn't? Is magic not real? Don't tell me you did. I mean, I the flying car, that, that thing pays for itself, but you know. It's... I definitely flew on a broom, a real one. There was actually a video that was going around I saw a lot on Instagram that was like people doing it with their dogs. Have you seen that? It's no, like no. they'd get like a dog on a broom. It would be like, I think what they were doing is that someone was holding the dog, right? And they had a cloak covering the person holding the dog. And then they had a broom. So someone's videoing it and they're like doing this under the cloak with the dog. So I was like, I couldn't do it with my dog because I couldn't hold my dog. Like it's too, he's too big. But you do this and then you have like a broom going through and it looks like they're floating on a broomstick. Most people have done it with their dogs. It looks pretty funny, but I haven't tried there's something to do in quarantine? Uh... Yeah, if you want a challenge, yeah. I can uh, uh, nominate you. <laughs> which, is, which is actually how they did it when we were filming, didn't they? What, someone standing under us holding our palms? <laughs> yeah. I remember once convincing someone we actually did it while skydiving. Oh my God. That was but it's, I mean, that's the funny thing about going back to the studio tour when we've been back is how 
like all these props and everything how they're preserved and um they're like these you know fantastic artifacts and everything like that but i remember actually throwing a um well someone said to me can you check me the um the beaters um the, the sticks they've got the budgets and i was like yeah, yeah okay so just tossed it down um person couldn't catch it and it just hit the floor and just went like Did completely it split? broke yeah no no it just completely Shattered. Oh, it broke, yeah. But like now, it's like they're like the Mona Lisa behind glass, and before they were two hours later, it's like, oh yeah, just the wand, just like costume, yeah. and like whatever. It's like and also, I remember, down them. Like, oh, they got another pet. They've got more. It's fine. But and also, like, can you remember the tables in the Great Hall where they used yeah, to, yeah, uh, graf- yeah. all, like, the amount of graffiti on the, all the varnish from there? But they had to re-varnish them every year, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I can remember. But those, like, they were all brand new made for the movies, and they hit them with chains to break them down like big metal chains to make that's always baffled me it's someone's job to make something look old like there was literally that department that did that for like clothes and stuff like the breakdown department and they'd have like all these different great tricks of like picking at things with like uh emery paper or copper wire and they'd like wear things down and They'd be probably good, well, good people how... to like wear jeans down. I, well, I remember the um, I remember that our uh, school trousers, they were made they were from Harrods. Very you fancy. Know, Weasley's, Weasley's had only, no you know. money. We're like, oh, I'm just gonna go shop for the most expensive department store. That's where it went. Yeah, they'll last. They'll last. But it just yeah, as you say, it blows my mind that there's people actually who do that and do it so well as well. Yeah, yeah, the detail was really amazing. But anyway, but you, have you got much on after this quarantine period is all over, yeah, directing and stuff? It's like, um, this I suppose it's how long is a piece of string, isn't it? It is how long is a piece of string. So um, with, with, well, with the directing thing, when did you get into that? And uh, yeah, when did you get into it? Uh, I guess, like I was saying, how I was super curious as to like understanding all the different departments or like asking questions or spending the time in the like work experience was probably like the beginning of me realizing that I wanted to do other things in the industry. Um, And at the time, all my like final years of school or my projects ended up being very like film based or or like photography and stuff. And I knew I didn't want to go to drama school, but I knew I wanted to go to university. So then I decided to go study. It was like a film and television degree that I did that was still at an art school. So it was like a BFA program. And I, yeah, ended up doing that. I did, I started my first year of uni in the last year of filming um, and really loved it. Ended up finishing in directing because you like had to finish in a specific strand, like you could finish in editing or cinematography. Uh, and then since then, which was like, I think I graduated like eight years ago and have just been making my own short films and commercial, I've done some commercials, music videos. And now I'm like working on what will be my first feature film. Oh, cool. Which is nice. still kind of, Kind of early days. Feels like it's been going on forever. It's pretty difficult making independent. Can you films. can you share a, a title or is it a working title at the moment? The working title of it is called Unearthed, like to unearth something. Um, and a lot of my <laughs> films and stories and it, are. And it features um, the ocean. It does feature the ocean. It's set in like a. It's set in a town. 
it's based on a specific area in California, but really it could be any kind of coastal town. But it's in a town that's around a river that leads to the ocean. Um, and it's basically sort of like an action slash like monster horror movie about um, essentially like the toxicity that runs off chemical plants. So it's like the, the kind of the toxic waste that comes off this chemical plant in this kind of small town is sort of why this monster is then born and comes to kind of like hunt the town. So the, so it kind of grows in the town's old landfill and it kind of comes out of that. So it talks about how like we're the monster at the end of the day and like we'll just create our own monster to kind of like hunt to kill ourselves. Um, so really uplifting stuff. Um, Don't give away too much of the plot though, Barn. No, I mean, I haven't. <laughs> I've said that much. Um, but yeah, so it is, to be honest, with all this going on, I probably, it would be great if I filmed it, like, the beginning of next year. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Um, and then I've also, in this time, because I can't shoot anything, been working on these two book kind of concepts that I've been meaning to sit down and do for a long time. Nice. Has that come in? Because I've seen it. You've been doing like on your Instagram. You've been you and your friends been doing like the stories and the poetry and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Stem from Uh, that. Different. No, that was just like I don't. That was just kind of a random inspiration to do that from spending more time at home and realizing. uh, I guess I was just like really touched by different things that people were offering online that were just like. So I thought, because that was something that I started as a practice myself of reading poems online, uh, out loud. Um, but not really. That was like separate. These two book things, one is one that I'm trying to, that was basically once a script that I wrote like three years ago that I'm now like reimagining as a book. And then the other book is a um, non-fiction sort of book. Oh my God, that's so loud. Is that your dog? No, my dog is a silent angel. That is not my dog. (laughs) My dog is like fast asleep in his bed. Um, uh, So yeah, so one one book is uh, what what used to be a script that I was kind of hitting a wall with because it was like quite a big concept. And obviously when you're trying to write something for a film, you've got to think about budget. Whereas if you write it for a book, it's kind of like limitless. So that's why I changed it to a book. And then the other one is kind of, basically a book about sustainability essentially but through the lens of just like your home uh rather than like sustainability in a global thing it's more about like home practices and how you consume and do things yeah but you've also got i've actually been doing research surprisingly on this one so oh, okay uh, yeah uh, <laughs> with what <laughs> kind of someone sent me all this information uh, yeah, I was going to say, I texted you last night, uh, <laughs> Bon, a little spoiler, I texted James last night, the meeting code, everything like this for doing this today. And I didn't realise until you text 20 minutes, like 15 minutes before we'd agreed to do it. So we... Uh, oh, you didn't know. You didn't today, know. Uh, that's fine, the boy. Anyway. Uh, I was gonna... As is James's <laughs> preparations. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I was going to say that you've also got an audio book that you recorded out right now, right? Yes. Tell us about that because that is rather epic. Um, yeah, for the Tales of Beetle the Bard. 
Is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah. So unless you got uh, another one, I'll be no, I did another one before, but that's not as interesting. I mean, it's great, but this one's more interesting. Um, yeah, so Tales of Beetle the Bard, um, similar to when Joe uh, published the book of Tales of Beetle the Bard, like she basically did that to raise money for her charity Lumos. Mm-hmm. Um, so she did the same with the audiobook. She basically gave the rights to Audible to, to produce the whole thing um, with the idea that all the money would go to Lumos. Um, so I guess because I've done different work with them, including a trip that I did with Ivana to Haiti about four years ago, um, done different things with them. And then they asked me to, yeah, read one of the stories, uh, in Tales of the Beetle the Bard, which are basically our fairy tale tales of the magical world. Um, and it was fun. I, um, I haven't actually listened to it. I should listen to it because I know that they, they ended up like producing, cause some audiobooks are just like the clean audio, obviously reading it, but they did it much more like how we used to have radio plays in the sense that there's like sound effects and okay. music. And I think they, it's much more heavily produced, which I think is nice. Cause I feel like I miss that when things feel a bit more like theatrical. Uh, yeah. So I will listen to that. But the story I read was, Babbity Rabbity and her cackling stump. So I'll yeah, so all the proceeds will go to Lumos. Very and good. other people reading it was like Ivana, Jason Isaacs, Warwick Davis, Eddie Redmayne, Jude Law. So it was nice, like a mixture, obviously, of the Fantastic Beasts and Harry Potter. But Bon, thanks so much for uh, for coming on and filling us with a lot of knowledge about uh, various topics. But thanks, yeah, once again, thanks so much for uh, being good yeah, my fun pleasure. again. But I know, we're got... still, we still fun, you know, we still got it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we still got it, kids, yeah. We still got it. I remember, I remember. I when remember I 50 fun. years ago when we did something. <laughs> yeah. It's going to um, be that. It will happen. I've got, I've got four questions. Five, oh, four. You've got more four questions. Five. Four or five. He's, okay, so he throws this out every week. Okay, okay. They're kind of changing and evolving, but let's just say they're oh, every okay. week. Um, uh, what's your favorite song? Um, I would say Unknown Legend by Neil Young. Very good, top, top choice. Uh, favorite film? Children of Men by Alfonso Cuaron. Very good. Who also directed the third movie. He did, yeah. Uh, what is your favorite film or TV quote? Oh, um... Again, again, I Bon, I can only apologise. I, I thought James was going to send you these TV. questions yesterday. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I like this. It's more, but I would have... Okay, film or TV quote. Um, I would just say, like, the opening, type, the opening title sequence of The Simpsons. What, the Does tune? something? Huh? The tune. the tune. Yeah, I guess that's not really what that is. Oh, fine. You know dialogue um, in a film? What? <laughs> <laughs> Dialogue. I don't watch silent movies. Okay. Um, <laughs> favorite quote in a movie? Oh my gosh. Um, or a TV show? I okay, think I'll give you a book so. one, but not. Yeah, book one would work. A book quote? Yeah. Okay, yeah it's from, okay, it's from an essay by Emerson, and it says that. <laughs> I'm very familiar with his work. Yeah, yeah. you can Thanks. say anything yeah, right now. The health of the mark. The, the health of the eye seems to demand a horizon. 
Um, we are never tired so long as we can see far enough. Oh. That is my quote. That's why I like the beach because you've got a horizon the whole time. Oh, very good. So not very... Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's what it is because that's all I can think of right now. <laughs> uh, what's your... That's blowing my mind. What's your favourite <laughs> food? Uh, my favourite... Bread and butter. <laughs> Literally, like I can. You've gone from adventurous. Fancy essay to bread and butter. <laughs> yeah, like, that's yeah. I'm just a simple uh, bread. <laughs> I don't know, like pizza. That's basically bread and butter. Um, you know, change it. No, no, bread and butter's fine. Bread, bread and butter, honestly. Yep. Like. Uh, and favorite drink. Red wine. <laughs> any any particular grape? <laughs> I like a cab Californian Cabernet. Very nice. Very it's nice. My preferred if I'm going to be in America because I like to not drink exported things when I don't need to. Mm-hmm. Pop up to nothing. When I'm in England, I'll have more of a French Bordeaux personally, but uh, it'll change according to where I am. <laughs> For some reason, I've just now got my visions of you tonight with a LP of Neil Young playing, reading yeah. under a candlelight. With your bread and butter. I'll be yeah. <laughs> in the dark, dark ages. Light. I'll be listening. It'll be literally like a vinyl with like candlelight, bread and butter, reading Emerson essays. <laughs> Honestly, that's pretty much you've pretty much just painted the picture of my life. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, cool. on that bombshell, Bond, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Wicked. Cheers, Bond. Bye. Okay, see you back. Bye. Huge thanks to Bonnie there. We had a great time catching up and we even learned some things that I have been trying to figure out for the last 20 years. I have always been wondering who that other person in that audition room was. And now I know. It was. It was just like the old um, Cambridge spy ring. Who was the fifth man? So well, now we know. It was Bonnie Wright in that room with us. So the, the Cambridge spy ring from the biggest like spy espionage of all time. You don't know that story? Oh, no. Okay, okay. Just just go and look it up when you go away this weekend. It is it's basically about how they these educates who got um who basically worked for the Soviets and they actually got as far one of the chaps, um I can't remember his name, that's like Kim Phil Kim Philby. Something like that. Um actually worked uh, he was head of MI six and he was actually shuffling information to the Soviets at the time. But there was always a thing of who is who is the other man um, who turned out to be the curator of art at the National Gallery. Oh, I've seen that because it's in The Crown, isn't it? Yeah. It's in The Crown, exactly, yeah. So there you go. So now you know where that came from. So okay. anyway. Yeah, I was trying to, trying to put a bit of history into this, a bit of history into yes. this program. Educational. Educational, it sure is. Well, Oliver, thank you very much for joining me this week. Everybody out there as well thank you so much for listening thank you so much for watching we've got a hopefully a really fun guest next week we're just trying to set that up right now until then stay safe look after each other and have a good week cheerio